On January 5th, 1975, a young woman was burying a shoebox, which she had filled with jewels stolen from her wealthy employer, when she came across a body. She saw it as a sign from God, she would later tell the police, imploring her to take a different path in life. Perhaps it was indeed fate, but more likely a bizarre coincidence that this woman had chosen the same plot in which to bury her stolen treasure as that in which I had buried Oliver Atanasio three weeks earlier. When the story got out, the employer decided to just fire the woman instead of prosecuting her. The discovery of the corpse was traumatizing enough, he told the newspaper. The rotting body she discovered in a shallow grave was that of Oliver, the fish Atanasio, a capo crime boss of the Cristaldi family. My family. The fish, known for his violent, erratic behavior and fondness for women of African-American descent, was in charge of some of the family's most profitable prostitution rackets in New York. Often, the black prostitutes that worked for him turned up dead, beaten to a pulp. Sometimes they'd been tortured. The fish, nicknamed that because of his general coldness and his permanently sweaty forehead, always blamed some poor schmuck of a client who was then beaten or killed. But even the fish's superiors quickly began to suspect that their own man was behind the deaths. Naturally, this senseless killing hurt the business. At some point, customers didn't return for fear of being blamed for one of the murders. The type of mutilations and specific patterns and places in which the women were found dead supported the idea that the fish was responsible for them. Because the Cristaldi family had a fairly good reputation in the city, the fish's wrongdoings damaged us a lot. His father was an honorable man that had done well for the family, but he'd obviously not kept tabs on his son. The spoiled fuck had grown up believing he was entitled to every piece of ass in front of him, every racket, and every goddamn penny he could get his hands on. It's a classic cycle in my business. A man works his way up, gets filthy rich, and his son fucks everything up for him. Well, not this time. First, his father had tried to talk some sense into him. But when the killings continued, a higher boss ordered a hit. It was me who got the assignment. I killed him with two point-blank shots to the head and buried him in a shallow grave in Harriman State Park. I'd killed a few men in my life at that point, but I was proud to say it was always people who deserved to die because I could never kill a citizen, innocent people. Unfortunately, the code of honor that our family so strictly used to live by is eroding fast. It's probably because of drugs. Drugs fuck everything up. But let me ramble about that some other time. I feel no regret killing that bastard son of a bitch. He hurt women, really hurt them, and just for sport, the sick fuck. If even his old man knew he was a liability, he should have expected the blood. If the girls he tortured were white, the police would have nailed the fish a long time ago, but the pigs from the NYPD don't care how many black hookers turn up dead, so someone from the inside had to do the dirty work. My friend Larry helped me wrap him in plastic after it was done, and together we buried him in the dark. What got me was sloppiness. The police found fingerprints on the plastic I wrapped him in. What a fool I was to forget to wear gloves. Larry didn't either, but he wasn't in the police database, so 
I was the only one that got something on. I was lucky my brother had this guy from the NYCD in his pocket, which meant I learned about the arrest warrant filed for me right away. I thank my life to that pal. He went out of his way to let my brother know they had evidence against me. Solid evidence that could nail me in court. Fingerprints were something even a hotshot lawyer couldn't get around. My brother told me to go to a hideout our family had prepared in Los Angeles. But my gut told me they would still find me there. Besides that, I felt nothing for L.A. I'd read some Raymond Chandler novels as a teenager, and I hated the picture he painted of it. So I decided I'd go to Mexico first, lay low for a while, and from there I'd take a flight to the Maldives, since they didn't extradite to the U.S. And I liked the beach. I was sure I could return at some point, but I didn't know how long I had to leave for. These charges were something else. No statute of limitations on murder. That this was how my criminal life ended, it was almost funny to me, you know. I never planned to retire before I was 50, but now I didn't really have a choice. I was always fully prepared for something like this to happen, despite the fact that I never thought it actually would. I'd always kept a small stash of money, a fake passport, and some valuable jewelry hidden in a garage. The jewelry I could sell anywhere for cash. All that stuff was hidden in a sports bag in my trunk, and I knew my life depended on it now. But as long as my feet weren't on Mexican soil yet, I was still in grave danger. Even a patrol car stopping me for a broken taillight could mark my end. At least in Mexico, it'd be harder for the police or the feds to track me because the government there doesn't allow gringo agents on their land. I decided I would take a flight from Monterey after a few weeks and then drive out. It was going to be a hell of a road trip, but it was my only chance. I'd cut my hair, shaved, and taken a shower before I hit the road because the one thing I knew about running was that you had to look sharp. As soon as I would start to smell or look disheveled, that's the moment a gas station owner or some eager patrol cop trying to prove himself would smell me out. At one point, I'd been driving for nearly 25 hours, and I started to feel like it. My mom always used to say that the secret to a happy life was a good night's sleep. Wait till you're older. Sleep is going to be the most precious thing in your life. Just wait. A fluffy pillow is going to be more important to you than decent coffee, she'd said to me once. So I decided to take my mom's advice to heart one last time. I thought it especially important since there was a chance I'd never see her again. So... While I was on Highway 35 and had just passed Austin, I looked for a quiet motel. Sleeping in my car was too dangerous, so I had to find someplace quiet where people wouldn't bother me too much. I'd just take a shower, shave, and get a few hours of sleep. Finally, I ran into a weathered motel sign, which led me to a rectangular building after a short, dusty path off the highway. I was delighted to see it was an old, cheap kind of motel. The big, bright vacancy sign blinding my tired eyes, was the only decent-looking thing about the place. No cars in the visitor's parking lot, just a white van I presumed to be the owner's. I took the sports bag and my gun out of the car and went inside. Behind the counter was a middle-aged man reading a magazine. I greeted him as enthusiastically as I could in my tired state, but he didn't seem to hear me. I said hi again, louder this time, but again he didn't respond. Irritated, I rang the bell on the counter. The man, startled by the sudden noise, put down his magazine and walked over to me. Without saying anything, he glanced at me, seemingly annoyed 
by my presence. This was strange to me, since the motel looked deserted and apparently in desperate need of guests. Despite him being short and bald, I somehow found his presence a little threatening. I'll explain why. When I was 12, I ran with a kid named Scotty. A fat boy. It got bullied a lot. Most of the time, he was a nice boy. But he also got this dark side. This one time, two Irish punks from down the street stole a dollar from him while he was walking to the grocery store to buy some sugar pops. Afterwards, he was mad like you wouldn't believe. Told me he was planning on murdering them. Try to picture it, this 12-year-old kid, fat as a pig, talking about murder. I laughed it off, naturally, because these kids were a few years older and could outrun him even if he could magically lose 30 pounds overnight. I told him to not make such a big deal out of it. Told him that the streets were mean sometimes, that that was just the way it was. I even suggested he ask his dad to teach these boys a lesson instead of getting himself in trouble. But no... This crazy son of a bitch was determined to do it himself. Two weeks later, he asked me to stand guard while he lured one of those boys out, flashing some cash while he knew they were lurking around. One of the older kids approached him and commanded him to hand over his money or his fat ass would get a good old spanking. But Scotty pulled out a stick and poked this kid in the fucking eye. The worst thing was that he had sharpened it. And damn, did that punk his lesson. He'd lost an eye for a fucking dollar. Ever since then, I knew Scotty was trouble. This motel owner, he had the same weird, dark energy as Scotty, somehow. He gave me the price for the night and then told me that they were shooting a movie scene later that night in one of the motel rooms. Just so you know, they might make a little noise, but nothing major, they promised me. Great. I thought to myself, of all the motels in Texas, they were shooting a fucking movie in the one I chose. But I wasn't going to leave now. That would only raise suspicion. What kind of movie? I asked, faking excitement. He shrugged and said, some art house shit. He told me that aside from the small film crew, I was the only other visitor. He could give me the room on the far edge so I wouldn't be bothered by the noise. I nodded in agreement and paid. Then I followed him. To my room. While we walked past the many doors, I noticed a weird smell coming from one of the rooms. It was pungent, sharp. The smell of bleach. A painful reminder that if I'd have poured a bottle of that stuff over the fish, I wouldn't even be in this shit. Like he was reading my mind, the guy told me one of the rooms had some kind of mold problem and he was in the process of cleaning it. He said that I should steer clear of the room which I thought was an odd thing to say since I had no business entering it anyway. But I just nodded, feeling so tired that I only really cared for the bed that was waiting for me. The interior of the room was as shitty as I expected it to be. The curtains were old and full of moth holes. The place itself smelled of dust and was decorated with outdated furniture and badly done paintings of seaside towns. I looked at the big one above the bed. San Luis was written under it in small letters. Without saying anything else, the man threw the key on the bed and left. I looked at myself in the small bathroom mirror and noticed that my eyes were red from exhaustion. I quickly brushed my teeth and checked if all my belongings were still in my bag. Of course they were, but 
I hid the passport and the bundle of cash underneath my pillow just to be safe. Despite my tiredness, I was paranoid, but that was a good thing because it needed to be. I shouldn't feel safe, not yet, especially not in a motel, but it was still safer than falling asleep behind the wheel, I supposed. I set the alarm for five in the morning and closed my eyes. I woke up from a loud noise in the middle of the night. It sounded like a scream, although I was still fuzzy when I came fully awake, so I couldn't be sure. The clock on the bedside table told me it was 2 a.m. Startled, I got out of bed and pulled away the blinds to peer out. In my paranoid state, I reasoned it must have been a police officer ready to tell me to come out with my hands up. Perhaps the motel clerk had somehow recognized me and tipped off the police, I thought. But when I looked out of the window, everything was quiet. It was a clear night, and the stars speckled the black sky like tiny little drops of paint. In the light of the moon, I could just make out the desert mountains in the far distance. Just when I decided the noise must have been a figment of my imagination, I heard it again. Not as loud this time, but now I was sure it was a scream. A chill ran down my spine. I pitched my ears and waited for another sound to come. But it didn't. I thought of what the owner had mentioned, that a small crew was shooting a movie scene. But why a scream? And shouldn't they have wrapped up by then? I returned to bed and tried to fall asleep again, but I couldn't. Paranoia and anxiety clouded my mind. It made me mad because I knew I needed the hours badly tomorrow on my final stretch to Mexico. So I tried to slow my breathing. Breathe. Count to three. Breathe. Count to three. Breathe. It was a trick to calm the nerves. I'd learned from a soldier that got drafted for Nam. He died only a month into his second tour. Apparently got scorched by our own napalm when the plane hadn't accounted for an American unit that was exploring the forest on foot. Despite his pathetic and meaningless death, the little trick he taught me lived on in me, and it almost got me back to sleep when I heard another muffled scream. This time I recognized it unmistakably as female. It was the third one in less than ten minutes, and despite it not being loud, my gut told me that something weird was going on. I buried my head in the pillow, but now the prospect of sleep was completely lost to me. I doubted that the noises came from a movie set. I remembered how vague the motel owner had been when I asked him about it. Somehow I could sense that something sinister was happening quite close. I got out of the bed and peeked out of the window again to see if I could trace the sound to its place of origin, which couldn't be far. I've always been a curious person. But it was something else that drew me to my window, something primal and instinctive. Every cell in my body told me to stay away from it, to go back to bed and at least lay there with my eyes closed for the remainder of the night, minding my own goddamn business like I should. But up I went, and I peered out of the window for a while. The motel room seemed even more deserted and empty now in the cold, bluish moonlight. No cars, no sound. Just the wind howling. I stood there for a few minutes and saw nothing. But then, for the fourth time, I heard a woman's muffled scream. I shivered and wondered what the hell was going on. I convinced myself that it wasn't that weird to take a little walk around the property, just checking what was going on, if anything. 
I put on my shoes and got my gun, just in case. The cold of the night smacked me in the face when I opened the door. I'd completely forgotten how cold it could get in the desert at nighttime. I shivered and started walking, praying I was just being paranoid. The moon was big and bright, and I realized I'd never really looked at it before. Maybe because it remained hidden behind skyscrapers most of the time back in New York. It was big and round, and if I squinted, I could see its craters, like acne scars on a pale face. I walked past the empty motel rooms and wondered how on earth this place could stay afloat. I didn't have the sense for business the people my family extorted were born with, but even I knew that this crappy little motel must have been a bad investment. It was too far from the highway to serve truck drivers. Profitable motels needed lots of tired, hungry people passing by and a smiling young hottie welcoming them at the door. This joint had none of these. A single cloud moved past the moon as I lurked around the motel, which looked a little ominous in the dark. When I passed the final room, the one that the fat man had told me was being cleaned, I heard another muffled noise. Seemingly coming from the far end of the motel, the room that was furthest away from mine. I quickly moved towards it, careful not to make too much noise. I waited behind the window, which was largely covered by blinds, but a small spot of the window wasn't covered. I slowly moved towards it and peeked inside. What I saw was the face of a girl, her eyes wet from tears and a piece of duct tape covering her mouth. I hesitated for a second, but I knew I just had to do something. I took out my gun and kicked in the door with two kicks. Some guy I'd never seen before stood inside, looking at me, startled by my loud entrance. He wore a pair of panties over his face. He dropped the box cutter he was holding in his right hand and with a dull sound dropped on the plastic sheets in which the entire room was covered. His eyes were wide and almost comically panicky, like those of a kid caught in the act of stealing a cookie from the jar. Then it felt as if time stood still. In a split second, I took in the whole horrific scene. In the left corner of the room, which aside from the plastic on the floors was identical to mine, sat a girl in her underwear tied to a chair. At the other side of the room stood a camera on a tripod with another man behind it. It just couldn't be a coincidence. I remember thinking that I stumbled upon a group of sick perverts like the fish. I could see what this was right away, some fucked up snuff porn setup. Without thinking, I shot the bastard in the chest four times. He fell down and the other guy started begging. I shot him in the chest and shoulder. And I watched them both choke in their own blood. I quickly ran towards the girl and pulled the tape off her mouth. She started screaming like I have never heard someone scream. For a moment, I considered calling 911 with the motel phone and then making my way to Mexico. But then the motel owner hollered something at me from the doorway. I hadn't even heard him come in. I pointed my gun at him and told him that if he moved as much as a finger, I'd shoot him too. Explain yourself. What the fuck were you supplying here, I said. It's, it's just, it's just a movie, he stuttered. 
Of course, I didn't believe him. Shut the fuck up. Do you think I'm a fool? I replied. I looked at the girl. She was still crying, but in between her whimpering, she repeated that she was an actress. At first, I didn't believe her. But she explained over and over again that this was a film set. That the motel owner was telling the truth. She was just an actress working on a scene for a low-budget horror movie called Desert Death. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't fucking believe it. I had mistaken a horror set for the real fucking deal. The girl kept begging me not to harm her. The motel owner kept saying, Oh God, oh God, oh God, like a broken record. Me and my gut. I felt so fucking stupid I could die. I'd shot two innocent men, a director and the cameraman, in cold blood. Desert Death was quickly finished by Warner Brothers after the news broke. The studio was eager to make a quick buck on the media buzz surrounding the experimental horror movie that was now tainted by real deaths. The relatives of the deceased director and cameraman protested at first, but were hushed up with 10% of the box office profits. My name was all over the paper, and so was a headshot of that actress. Mobster shoots up movie set, kills two or something along those lines. Some journalists theorized that it wasn't an accident, but a hit ordered by the New York mob. Desert Death was hastily released into theaters nationwide and made millions. It even got two sequels, turning it into a trilogy. That poor actress, however, hasn't made a movie since. I read somewhere that she manages a McDonald's now. I made it to the Maldives in the end. After I fully realized what I'd done, I ran to my motel room to get my money and a passport and drove away. I told that actress and the motel owner that if they called the police before five hours had passed, I would make sure their family wouldn't live to see another day. Apparently they believed me, because they gave me time to get to the border. The FBI is still looking for me. Three homicides now tied to my name. But I chose the Maldives for a reason. I know I can never leave this country, that the feds will arrest me as soon as I exit the plane. At least I'm safe here, but sometimes in my dreams I see their faces. The faces of those innocent men I killed. I feel I have to pay for my crimes at some point in this life or the next. The fish deserved what was coming to him. But I know God won't forgive me for the other two. Do you enjoy listening to a darker tale? Consider supporting the podcast on Patreon. Even one dollar a month will help us get out stories more regularly. Go to patreon.com stroke a darker tale. Thanks for your support.
This story is released under an attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 4.0, International Creative Commons license. Thanks for listening.